0: The Paceline is a production of the cycling independent, a reader and listener supported cycling focused website where every bike is a good bike. And if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is the Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. <sighs> we had an earthquake alert this morning.
1: Yes. Uh yes, and you are nervous, uh, like a remote control.
0: <laughs> um Yeah. <clears throat> I probably wouldn't mention it, but I think my, my, my mannerisms and or voice may be a little weird today. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm still trying to, I think my heart rate is still elevated. Uh, hmm. yep. Yep. About 10 beats high.
1: <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm in the other direction. I went out this morning. I decided to ride fasted this morning. So I left the house at seven 30. Uh huh. And I thought, oh, we'll ride for a couple hours, and I'll come back and, you know, eat, eat, and that'll be great. And, but then we were out for like three, So then I left at 7.30, I got back at 11.30. I did get something <laughs> to eat on the way home, but I was, I I endured a midday um, blood sugar crash. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, uh-huh. That
1: I'm just now climbing back up out of
0: blood sugar pratfalls are um funny only sometimes
1: yeah i'm just you know sometimes i'm just dumb like i had <laughs> food in my jersey pocket but i was like oh no this is fine it wasn't really until we were on the way home that i was like oh someone uh put quicksand on the road everywhere
0: mm-hmm. i one, made it one of the biggest bonks i ever had uh i got to the end of the day to my hotel room and discovered that there was still about a quarter of a power bar left in my jersey. I thought I was out of food. Ah, I that extra 50 calories. Uh, I know what that sounds like, but I can tell you it would have made a, a, <laughs> a difference by order of magnitude.
1: Sure, sure, sure.
0: At least in my mental composition, it might have saved <laughs> me from crying.
1: Right. I mean, <laughs> its discovery alone might have been revelatory.
0: I, there's a distinct possibility I would have cheered. Yes, yes, yes. Well, as you can see, but listeners can't.
1: I'm like, I am um, caffeinated. I'm I'm covering my earlier error error with a follow up error, which is drinking way too much iced coffee.
0: <laughs> I didn't have the impression that that's a thing with you. Too much uh, drinking, too much, too much and coffee. Do those ever really appear in sentences with you?
1: Uh, no, but there comes a point where it, it really, well, most of the time it really has no effect. It just like, there's just a general washing out. Like the day is over. (laughs) It's sort of like a Pyrrhic, Pyrrhic kind of thing where I'm just burning the day down, (laughs) but that's all right. right. Hey, before we jump into it, we should mention to people, we won't be here next week.
0: This is correct. We will not be here next week. Uh, you'll be there. Taking
1: a vacation.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm taking three days off. Uh, actually, five days because it'll include the weekend as well. I'm taking five days to go to a writer's retreat down in Monterey. Um, this is the first strictly for me vacation that I have taken since, I think, 2011. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Probably do. I, I might be overdue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in what little f- uh, free time I have or what passes for something that's like free time. I've been working on a novel um, about the state of Jefferson. Google that stuff. Uh, and uh, I, I'm going to go talk to some literary agents and a, an editor and get a reality check. Most likely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is what writing is all about. Yes uh, <laughs> yeah long hard hours and rejection, anyway, yeah. should we jump in? We should all right, this week, rather than my usual rant, uh, which I know everyone enjoys, <laughs> I want to float a series of questions that I personally don't feel I have clear answers to mm. i have I have feelings, I have opinions, but you know how those are um. Mine are usually half baked at best. So I'm going to ask a question here. I'm going to give my quick take on it, and then hopefully, I'm going to hear your good common sense input.
0: Well, you'll hear my input. I can't promise that it will be either good or common sense. Well, you know, I find that um, I find that
1: we, you and I are two sides of a coin. Yeah. You, yeah. you. for example, love precision and you have reasons for doing things the way you do them. And I'm the other way, whatever that is.
0: <laughs> you know, I was just going to say you're the organized one. Um, Organized, yes, but... Methodical. Know. Okay, I could see the argument for me being more... Just... Yeah, I, yeah. Okay. Here we go. I can let's go with it.
1: Let's hear, hear the question. <laughs> so here, here's, here's the first one. If you go out with one bottle, which cage does it go in? Down tube. The simple oh, answer oh. is who cares? This is... <laughs> <laughs> the practical answer might be the down tube cage because that has the shortest reach. What I actually do is put it in the seat tube cage. Are you ready because I think that looks best <sighs> okay <laughs> can conti- 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 please continue so no no, no so what do you do uh or is this a dumb question because why would you only ever bring one bottle
0: uh, dude i I do rides without bottles uh you know i i'm I'm yeah. not gonna desiccate in one hour um yeah, that's right, so I mean yeah, sometimes I just don't even have a bottle at all uh eh, To to my eye, the harmonious look is the down tube, Uh, a bottle, a bottle in a seat tube cage uh, with a single most upsetting thing that my eye can see on a bicycle is one cage on the seat tube and not one on the down tube with or without bottle. Well, no, it's actually worse with a bottle in the one cage that's only on the seat tube.
1: interesting
0: oh it just it's a violation of my eye really what this owes to are uh, is the you know way back years when oftentimes a road bike only had one bottle cage and it was on the down tube Mm. my first racing bike i'm sorry
1: that you're not around more often so that i could upset you because i will put it in the seat tube
0: but, okay, now let's ask for a little clarification here, because you know yeah. me—I have to complicate things. Yeah. Are we only talking about road and gravel bikes, or are we also talking about mountain bikes? Um,
1: I think we're mainly talking about road and gravel bikes, because you know my my mountain bike only has one cage.
0: Oh, I was I was thinking about hardtail, but
1: yes, oh, of oh, course. Oh, oh, um, it doesn't matter. Okay, say say we rope hardtails in. What mm-hmm. changes?
0: I, I, I am ever so slightly more accustomed to seeing only uh, a seat tube bottle cage being used. All right. Uh, even though there's, you know, the crazy part is there's even less room, but I have seen that more.
1: So this isn't about, so this is an aesthetic thing for you just the way it is for me, and we just happen to see it mm-hmm. different ways. I mean, you don't I don't care that it's easier to grab the one on the down tube.
0: Well, Here's the thing. I mean, I'll I'll make that argument, but I know plenty of people who say it's easier to reach the one on their uh, C tube, and you know because my body is not their body. Far be it for me to try to argue. No, you based on your fit, this is actually better. You know. <laughs> well, the, I, you
1: know this is great. So this is a stupid question. Where does the one bottle go? But I'm really enjoying the fact that um, we have different answers mm-hmm. and that. There isn't a clear, correct one. I like that. Okay. Oh, no, let's, no. Let's- there
0: is a clear, correct one. I've already issued that, but we've, we've <laughs> jumped into the weeds now. Please, ah. we're going to wade through some more weeds, I expect.
1: Yes. Next question. <laughs> Do you ever ride mountain bikes with a water bottle instead of a hydration pack? I have one cage on my mountain bike, and most of my rides I can get by with one bottle. It's only if I'm far from home and think I'll be out for more than about 90 minutes that I would go to a pack instead of that single bottle. What do you do?
0: Uh, I'm happy to ride with one bottle. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I do that all Mm -hmm. the time. Uh, I need to know that I'm going to be out for more than 90 minutes before I put on a hydration pack. Except during the summer, if it's really hot and I'm getting out when it's still you know, quite hot during the day. Uh, sure. I, I will probably take a hydration pack. Uh, here's where I reveal one of my idiosyncrasies. I really hate eating dirt. I, I just, I, I, I hate it. Um, I'm fastidious that way. And mm-hmm. so my mountain bikes don't have a bottle cage on them.
1: Because they get splattered with sand, dirt, mud, and you don't Cow want down. that in your mouth ever under any circumstances. I, you know, I'd like to say something that sounds less foolish. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's in a really uh, reasonable position to take up. And it makes me feel, I don't know, it makes me question the fact that I'm very regularly like spitting out sand and little bits when i'm riding mountain bikes
0: i mean you know if you can make your peace with it and do it uh and you don't get giardia and let's be clear (laughs) about this giardia is a really poor argument for what i'm doing okay uh because you know what's the incidence rate like 0.0001 percent um i I just i'm weird this way and i've never been able to get over it (laughs) I don't think it's weird. I don't think
1: it's weird. I think there's plenty of people that don't want dirt in their mouth.
0: Let's move on. Okay. All right. Next, under what
1: circumstances would you ride without gloves? Mm. So I have this weird idea that on the mountain bike, I always need gloves, maybe because sweaty hands aren't grippy hands, maybe because I think I'm likely to fall off hands first. But on the gravel and road bikes, I don't wear gloves when it's over... Probably 50 degrees, unless it's over 80, in which case sweaty hands become a real problem again, (laughs) Uh Uh (laughs) which is, you know, paradoxical. But what's your take? Bell curve. Bell curve, Um, curve, that's right.
0: Yeah. Uh, So uh, riding a mountain bike, unless I'm like, you know, running an errand to the store or something. And I've got, uh, I've got an e-bike for that, but unless I'm just kind of goofing around or something, I always have gloves on with mountain bike. Uh, A lot of it just has to do with the nature of the grips. Um, I, I'd say about every other month or so, there's a callus of mine that is getting torn off. I pull off the gloves and there'll be this lump of, of, you know, dead skin sloughing off. Uh, so uh, gloves on a mountain bike is an entirely rational approach to mountain biking to me. Um, I, I feel naked without gloves, uh, on a mountain bike for a Mm -hmm. long, long time. Uh, always, always, always gloves on the road bike. Uh, and I would feel naked without that. And, Then for uh, reasons of time efficiency, when I was doing lunchtime rides with my coworkers at Southern California Edison, I didn't want to take the extra 45 seconds to put on a pair of gloves and to make sure I had them packed and could find them in my my bag and all that. Uh, I do plenty of rides without gloves on the road. Uh, Probably at this point, most of my road rides are without gloves gravel bike i am much more likely to wear gloves um i will except for winter time when i need something warm i don't wear long finger gloves on a road bike i will most often wear long finger gloves on a gravel bike have i made this complicated enough
1: well it's a little complicated i'm not sure it makes a ton of sense but I'm not sure my position does either. I, I think, and you know where how I am about gloves. I love a glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also love to not wear gloves. I think I think 20, 25 years ago, when I was still like, um, when I still thought it was important to have the right costume on, I always had gloves on because that's what cyclists did. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I was like, whatever. Um, and I don't remember the last time I put on a pair of fingerless gloves. Mm. they Uh, just like, I used to wear them all the time and now they just seem dumb to me. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're (laughs) dumb. I'm just saying they seem dumb to me. I put them on and I'm like, what am I like a 1930s hobo? What, what is happening? Why am I (laughs) like this?
0: Well, the funny thing for me is uh, if you really want to wind me up, give me a glove, long finger, short clear, short finger, whatever, and put Micro suede on it rather than terry cloth.
1: Hmm. Uh, because snot
0: and sweat and yes, it's, yes, yes, it's, yes. I, all it does is slide whatever you're dealing with around. It doesn't actually Agreed. remove anything. Yeah, Whoever yeah, yeah. came up with that, I just I don't know. Ring and run every hour for the rest of their lives. I. <sighs> If there was a pair of gloves, fingerless or long or
1: full fingered, and they had like chamois, like the kind you do, you know, you, <laughs> you dry your car with after you wash it, they had those on the back that mm-hmm. would, I would purchase those mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I have all manner of um, moisture to deal with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I get to be a drippy mess when it's hot. Mm-hmm. All right. So
1: similar next question. Under what circumstances would you ride without glasses? Mm. Mm -hmm. I used to forego glasses all the time. Now I wear them much more because my eyes seem much more sensitive, both Mm -hmm. to like. The air temperature and debris, uh, but. Once you've got helmet, glasses, gloves, whatever bike shoes you're going to wear, it all seems like a bit much to me. So as I'm putting all of this stuff on or feeling like maybe I need it, I'm like. You know, you're overcomplicating a simple
0: thing. Mm-hmm. I. Um, I remember being with somebody from Oakley once and my uh, editorial director at Bicycle Guide uh, asked him. Okay, so w- when do you take your your glasses off? And he's like, never. He's like, what do you mean? Like n- never. Well, what if they're all covered in mud? You never take your eye protection off. Uh, w- w- what if it's all covered in sweat? You never take your eye protection off. It it was uh, it it was just uh, what is the word we're looking for here? Not rule, but you know, just it was like a natural law. Um right. And you know, to a great degree, I kind of lived that for a very long time. Uh day before yesterday, I sweated so much. Uh and it got all over my glasses that I took the glasses off. That is yep. not a thing I do. Uh, and yet I did it yesterday and or day before yesterday, and then yesterday I was going out and I was like, man, I had a really good ride yesterday. Let's go see how hard I can kill it today. And I thought, I don't want to deal with sweaty glasses. And so I'm going to leave the glasses at home. That is a next to never thing with me. Next to never. Mm. Uh, I I won't do it on the road, but because I knew I was going on a mountain bike ride and I was going to be absolutely drippy and it's not dusty. The conditions are really good. So I didn't have to worry about dust. Um, and I I figured I probably wouldn't have any bugs to deal with. I got one bug, um, that was almost enough to make me regret my decision. But uh, it it went it it went well enough. Hmm.
1: I don't wear them all the time at all. Uh, on the road, if it's real sunny, I will wear sunglasses. But uh, as you say, at some point, I sweat them up, and they end up on the back of my helmet, or you know, like jammed under. Um. On the trail, I went on this morning, did a long gravel ride, and I had clear glasses on, and that worked really well when we first set out, because it was a little cooler, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't have that real teary thing that you get, um, but then I took them off later, because I just see better without them, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So you, you're pretty, like, you're pretty, like, glasses all the time.
0: Hey, let, me, let me put it for you this way, Mr. Robot, sir. I am upset that glasses are fitting less well on helmets. Yeah.
1: Well, that, you know, as, as, uh, don't take this wrong, but as silly as that sounds, I also feel like a lot of times I take my glasses off and I'm like, these don't, these don't fit in this helmet anymore. Or like Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's like, what do you do with the glasses when you don't want the glasses anymore?
0: So, uh, Jiro and Oakley would never openly admit it. But for a long, long time, uh, uh, as Jiro was working on a new helmet and as Oakley was working on new glasses, they would trade samples to make sure that the, uh, the lower vents, the lower temple vents were in the right sort of place that you could put your glasses in there. Hmm. Um, and there were certainly plenty of times where like with a, a, a big lens, like uh, in the old M frames, the heater It was a really big frame. You could put those in your helmet, and it would still direct air around your eyes, so you were getting a benefit from them, even if you were sweating too much to actually have glasses on your face. I miss those days. I don't miss those (laughs) days, but I miss those days. Or something.
1: (laughs) Or something. (laughs) Yes. All right. Here's a harder one. Mm. If someone you're riding with is struggling... Okay and tells you to just leave them behind, okay. when is doing so okay? Now, I'm tempted to say never, but if you're, if you're all sort of near home, and this person doesn't seem to have bonked, but they're just tired, then I might take them up on it. I might go on, mm-hmm. but I would never leave them if we were away from home, I think. Mm-hmm. under any circumstances. Like if, you know, if they're in my group, they're in my group and I got to wait for them.
0: What's your yeah. take? Uh, okay. So if somebody is stronger than me, uh, generally more experienced than me, somebody who I know has a high level of competence, if they tell me to do something, okay, fine. But if it's someone I perceive has, uh, either less fitness than me overall Less experienced than me, somebody who I, my sense of responsibility to is already heightened. Uh-uh, I'm not leaving him. Mm. Uh, I uh, uh, there was a girlfriend years ago. We were uh, we were doing a ride and we were on this big hill and she had never done the climb before and she was entirely demoralized. And like a third of the way, we pulled over and stopped so she could take a rest. And she was like, "Just go." just go, just go. Um, and I just stood there and I was like, no, this is not happening. I'm not leaving you. Uh, and for a little while she was kind of upset with me because she was feeling especially humiliated in that moment, having her lack right. of fitness illustrated so blatantly. Um, I was like, you know, this is nothing to feel bad about. You are learning what it is to be a cyclist. right. I'm not going anywhere. um, <laughs> So yeah, I, uh, I don't, I just don't.
1: Yeah. I, I generally, there are very few circumstances, I think, where I would do that. Uh, and, and for the no ride I'm doing is so important that I need to worry about my time, even if I've paid to be there. Um, mm-hmm. good. Okay. So this, this, here's one that I struggle with now that most of your bikes run tubeless tires, what do you carry with you in case of a flat? <laughs> I got to confess, often I don't carry anything extra at all. Sometimes a tire tool, tube, CO2, maybe a little dart. But the prospect of putting an actual tube in a tubeless flat is so odious to me. I did it one time uh, that mostly I skip it and I just am like, well, I guess I'm walking back out. If, this, if, if, the, if the, the unthinkable happens.
0: This won't take long. Yep. Yeah. Same.
1: Wow. (laughs) That makes me feel much better because, you know, back when we were all running tubes and I would skip bringing a pump or, you know, I would skip bringing stuff. I would always feel guilty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like "Ah, I'm I'm maybe not fulfilling the social contract here, but tubeless wise, I'm like, I'm not going to need this stuff. And even if I need it, I'm probably still not going to do it. So.
0: Yeah, there's there's a a level of of just general orneriness to dealing with tubeless flats that, uh, yeah, there are times where it take taking an hour to walk home seems better than taking 15 minutes to try to fix the flat.
1: Oh, it won't be 15 minutes. I mean, I tried it. Sw- I swapped a pair of tubeless tires the other day. I just about exhausted the grip strength in my hands. Anyway, all right. Yeah. Last one. Okay. This one also mystifies me. When do you wear knee pads on the mountain bike? <laughs> a lot. A lot of my friends wear them every time, but I hate wearing things, you know, like I'm trying most of the time to wear as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm s- way too sweaty to be putting things, uh, more things on my body and the vast majority of my trail rides. I don't feel like my knees are vulnerable. Like I have clipped the bars with my knee before and that's an ouchy mm-hmm. one, but, but that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would wear them to ride real downhill, I think, mm-hmm. but mostly
0: mm-hmm. I just don't do that. Uh, this is going to disappoint you. Same, same. Uh, <laughs> I, I have, I'm not even sure how many different sets of pads I have. I've got some G forms that are about as comfortable as any pad is to wear, uh, while pedaling full time. But I mean, I, I've been pedaling bikes for more than 30 years without anything on my knees. I put something on my knees now and I'm like, a cat with tape on my hair. <laughs> Just like, get it off me. <laughs> Yeah, I I, don't—and
1: I—again, we ride a lot of just regular trail, cross-country-style terrain, and everyone's with knee pads, and I just think, like, is there something that's going to happen that I'm unaware of? I did buy a pair recently because a friend invited me to go downhilling, and I thought, well, I'll regret it if I smash a knee, but, uh— yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the knee pad thing or, or why people wear ride trails on them. Maybe they're just a lot rowdier than I am or a lot more reckless. Although I find that hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this was good. This now I feel, I feel better about my, uh, ambivalence and lack of clarity on many of these things.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Groovy. Yeah. (laughs) All righty, We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Cycling Independent, which produces The Paceline, Line, is undertaking our first ever subscriber drive. The three of us who founded The Cycling Independent did not set out on this adventure to do subscriber drives. But as it turns out, this is the only way for any of us to be able to eat food or retain shelter. So here we are asking you to subscribe. Here's why it's worth your while. Number one, we put out good stuff. Features, essays, reviews, podcasts, etc. We make it all ourselves, and we'll make more every day. Two, each of us has a track record of quality work and honesty. You can count on us to do our part when you do yours. Three, our main goal is to grow an independent community of cyclists, people who are dedicated to riding as much as possible and also getting as many other people as possible on a bike for the better of our own lives our families, our towns, and even our planet. Four, more subscribers means we can bring more voices, more diverse voices, and better content to this little game of ours. They say a marketing effort shouldn't use negative words, that you should avoid words like don't and shouldn't and won't. But what we don't do is also part of our value to you. Number one, we don't plant cookies on your machine and then use them to serve you targeted ads from paying third parties. Two, we don't fling advertising at you every time you click on a story or link. Three, we don't accept money from companies trying to get positive press. And so when we recommend something, we do it freely and based on our real world experience. Four, We are not a monolithic publishing company channeling eyeballs into campaigns unrelated to cycling or channeling dollars into politics or other causes, not bike-specific. That might not jibe with your views. We are about the bike and riding and bringing people together. End of story. So this is it. We aim to add 300 subscribers in the month of March. 300 new contributors to the project. Join us. It will be worth it. We promise.
1: Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast. On to Wheels. What's your poll?
0: So last week, my poll was about lessons that cycling has taught me. And once again, I solicited input from my mm, cycling friends and family. One of the reasons I wanted to check in with others is that sometimes these truths can be so granular that there can be multiple small lessons hidden inside of what peer, appears to be one big lesson. Um, the overarching theme of the com. and I got more than 70 responses from people. 70. Yeah. More than 70. Good yeah. Golly. It was, Oh, it was just so much fun to go through, you know, and they were trickling in. So every time I went back to the book of faces, it was just, it, it was a delight. A- anyway. Uh, The overarching theme of the comments was one of hard work and everything that goes along with it, how suffering, perseverance, consistency, discipline, a work ethic, even pain tolerance all come together in a way that shows us what is required to succeed, to be good at something. Um, One of the hardest hard men ever, John John Stamstad, a guy who won numerous 24-hour races back in the day, was really direct. He said, I learned that people react differently to large amounts of physical stress. Uh, Your emotional faults become exaggerated. True story. Uh, Mm -hmm. You are forced to deal with things that are easy to gloss over in everyday, comfortable life. With Mm -hmm. the right attitude, that process is deeply rewarding and leads to growth. There you
1: go. I, I, I like everything that he said. I'm also impressed that he chipped
0: in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a remarkable guy. Um, our, mm. our initial, um, social media, uh, start was, uh, uh, characterized by, uh, some conflict. Uh, I was disagreeing with him about something and he took the time to really engage with me and be thoughtful and, Uh, I came away from it just deeply impressed with the guy. It's like, oh, he's not only hard, he is thoughtful. Oh, neat trick. Mm. Kyle Maxwell, uh, one of our readers, uh, wrote something too beautiful to try to sum up. He said that my real strength wasn't evident until I hit the wall that invisible place that most people give up, where they think they've run out of energy, maxed out their strength, and emotionally break down, where average people quit. I learned that most of that was psychological, similar to feeling hungry. It was my weakness within me drawing an arbitrary line where comfort and familiarity ended and the true work began, and that by reframing the situation, I could dig deep and tell myself I could just make, if I could just make it to that tree, to that curve in the road, over that ridge, I could make it home. And the more I got used to that feeling, the more I realized that the only difference between good and great is that good is achieved when the world is satisfied, but great is achieved when I am. No other lesson has been as transformative in understanding myself and navigating life. I'm going to repeat that next to last sentence there. Uh, the more I realized that the only difference between good and great is that good is achieved when the world is satisfied, but great is achieved when I am.
1: Kyle, Kyle might need, need to write a
0: book. Uh, he should at least con- uh, contribute to TCI more often than in this form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so related to that is a lesson in empathy that... Uh, I heard this from several people that everyone is suffering um, and that there is real value in routine. Uh, Speaking of more granular truths, one of my favorites uh, was the lesson of discernment that it's not enough to be able to push. It's important to know when to push and when to rest. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah there were some more race racing specific lessons shared like the importance of setting goals. Uh, former pro writer, Jen dial Santoro said racing can be a great way to find the limits of one's body. Um, she said she didn't learn that until, uh, she took up Nordic ski racing though. Um, My friend Dale Christie, a multiple masters national champion in the TT, wrote, goal setting and goal attainment and how hard I am willing to push myself to accomplish an attainable but lofty goal. Uh, Jen, to return to her, also said that bike racing taught her how to do math. Uh, (laughs) this, this, This was a delight. She said, when I started, I thought I was bad at math because I struggled in high school calculus. But that's that's reasonable, right? Um, mm-hmm. By the time I came out the other side of cycling, my brain had rewired. I now understood at a reflexive level what calculus was. Bike racing rewired me to understand multiple changing variables and the ability to figure out what might be going on in one slice of time. Bike racing isn't two teams, it's many. The number of permutations of what can happen in a bike race are exponential compared with a football game. Bike racing changed my brain in many dimensions. That's mm. awesome.
1: Yeah. It is awesome. It's also um, hypoxic math, which is harder than the, um, yeah. than the, what, poxic? poxic? Yes.
0: Sea <laughs> level yeah. yeah. Um, Bill Cass, uh, an artist whose work we've run uh, on TCI on occasion, um, a dude who was a, fearsome sprinter in the day said, the race isn't over until it's over. Mm -hmm. Little Zen Koan. Um, I often say that cycling is fundamentally Zen, uh, that you have to like the doing. Many people uh, spoke of the value of process and of being less outcome focused. Uh, Mm -hmm. David Worthington, who was a revered uh, and also feared uh, SoCal Masters racer with his labor power team um, back in the 90s and aughts, uh, he was known for his hilarious and also quite poetic race reports. But he summed all this up best when he said, the journey is the juice.
1: All right. Yeah. The journey Uh, is the juice.
0: Yeah, that that's a truth bomb. Uh, I loved the many literal lessons that people took as larger metaphors for life. My friend Eric said, a sense of direction, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. si- toy boat figuratively, mountain biking in the Sierra foothills in the mid 80s before GPS or anything like that. You really learn to mentally keep track of where you are and how to get back. We would just follow random unmarked hiking and deer slash cattle trails and then try and figure it out from there. Life is very similar. Truth. Yeah. Uh, my friend, uh, brilliant Michelle, she said, look where you want to go, not where you are headed. Vision is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, cooperation came up over and over. Uh, Abby Durkee, a pro mountain biker, said it best. Working together, we achieve more. The fastest is only so fast because the field is pushing the level up. Cooperation is power. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lots of people also talked about the joy of cycling. John Schubert, who was one of the editors at Bicycle Guide back in the 80s and 90s and can be credited... Uh, I am crediting him here and now as one of my inspirations for wanting to write about cycling pointed to the sheer joy of riding. He said, "Exhilaration, The zing of accelerating a racing bike."- mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and yes. The flip side of this is using cycling to keep the darkness in check. Uh, a number of people wrote about how it keeps uh, depression tamped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Nunick said, "cycling is my therapy." My meditation and my happy place. Mm-hmm. And a number of people talked about uh, building community, uh, being a social equalizer, and uh, even teaching them the value of the social contract. <laughs> Uh, Wade Tardif shared a great story about others supporting him when he needed it. um, Sort of like what you were just alluding to earlier. He said, My most significant experience in cycling had nothing to do with a race or things I found out about myself through hours and hours of saddle time. When I first started riding in about 1988, after toiling alone to gain enough fitness all winter... I started doing what was referred to as the bakery ride in Boston, way out on either Com Ave or Beacon. I can't remember. Out of the group of 40 or so so riders, I was told one group was going on a 35-mile loop and another was going on a 70-mile loop. I followed the directions of what I was told the 35-mile group. Uh... (laughs) And at about 41 miles was completely out of water, out of food, and out of anything else in my body that could be considered useful energy. Everybody in that group, a cast of category ones and twos and a couple of pros, took turns sharing what little food stuff they had with them and pushed me home with riders placing their hands on my lower back, pushing and talking me through what seemed an eternity to get back home. I've never forgotten that. And I've passed on that same support for as many years that I've been writing since. I hope whomever I have helped over the years has done the same with others. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We humans, we we like helping others. I mean, it feels good to help people. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Anytime someone's uh, hurting on a group ride, I am more than happy to step up. I, I do like the feeling of help. Uh, one of the subtler lessons of cycling uh, can, can be in helping to understand what the alternatives are. Uh, sea Otter founder and now driving force behind Enduro bearings, Rick Sutton, shared, to find quality time with friends and family away from the bike, Cycling is awesome, but so are other things in life. And he lists moderation, balance, well being versus obsession, competition first, middle, and last, and absent minded self indulgence.
1: Yeah. 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 That's right. Like it's, it is sort of an antidote for many of our, um, Worse tendencies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that I haven't mentioned that did come up a few different times, humility. Certainly, Rick's comment points to that, but it's a, it's a good way to find out your place in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for
1: me, for me um, the enduring lesson of riding bikes is that freedom is always available. You know, you get you get sort of, uh, you get in a rut in your life, but freedom is always available.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. All right, let's move on to Pace Picks. What do you have for us this week?
1: All right, this week, it's a real practical pick and one that might be more fun than you think. It's the Fox HP Shock Pump. Hmm. Uh, This is a straightforward little pump for your Fox shock. It's easy to use. There's a gauge on it in case you're interested, Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's an analog gauge, so it's only ever an approximation, really, let's be honest. (laughs) Um, Why is this fun to use? Well, in addition to letting you firm up your shock when it runs down, which you'll know because the little rubber gasket is all the way out at the end of your ride, you should check it. You can also experiment with more and less pressure to dial in the ride you like. So Mm -hmm. it's good for that regular shock maintenance that you need to do, but also for playing with different ride quality on your bike, Uh, potentially even for various terrains. Mm -hmm. Um, So the general rule on a full suspension bike is to run 20 percent sag, I guess on a hardtail too, uh, fork wise. But who can measure that accurately on their own? (laughs) Yeah, you can I'm a fan of feeling my way to the sweet spot. So I will, you know, I will, I'll add some air and I'll sort of bounce around in the road and then I'll come back and I'll, you know, I'll I'll try to simulate some big hits and see where my little rubber band ends up. And, um,
0: uh,
1: it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a thing you should have.
0: You should have this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: there is a digital version for those of you who believe in precision, uh, that one is 80 bucks. This one is $29. Uh, it's a cheap and cheerful solution, well-made for a not very serious problem, but one that anyone with a full suspension bike will encounter.
0: True story. Yes. Uh, my pick is the Nog Scout. Uh, so Nog is an Australian accessory maker uh, who's products i've tended to love uh so maybe there's a little bias here uh, There's ceo hugo is brilliant and always fun to talk to um and honestly his ideas very often seem ahead of the curve so the scout is a combination bike alarm and general finder uh it's a tracker that works with apple's find my app Um, And it's got a few advantages to other similar devices like the Apple AirTag. Um, First, you don't have to remove it to recharge it. Not a bad thing. Yeah. No. Uh, Battery life, uh, they say, can be quite variable. Um, They estimate anywhere from two to six months, which seems like a huge margin of (laughs) error. That is, sure,
1: okay,
0: helpful. Yeah, LEDs do show battery life and it's rechargeable with a USB-C cable. Um, There's an app that allows someone to arm or uh, disarm the alarm. Uh, If set off, the alarm is 85 decibels Um, and I heard that when I was at Sea Otter last spring. Uh, It's plenty to draw attention. It'll, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it'll, it'll do a good job that way. I like that it can be mounted beneath a water bottle cage or just on its own. Um, there's a silicon cover that you can put on it if you're not putting a cage over it. (laughs) Um, and if you do it that way, there are tamper proof screws for mounting. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes with a little tool to be able to do that. It goes for 60 bucks, which is certainly more than an Apple AirTag. Uh, but I suspect it will be considerably easier to hide on a bike. Mm-hmm. I'm not wild about buying one of these for each of my bikes. Uh, but considering how many bikes I've had stolen, I suspect the investment is coming. Um, I, I am in the industry, so I can hope for a discount as I buy more. hmm
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but But if you, if, if, if someone offered you, um, bike theft insurance and it was $60 for say five years, um, I don't know. It's kind of easy to justify that expense.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there are worse things than we can, that we can do than Uh, uh, well take care of our investment. Yes. Yeah. (sighs) that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line again we won't be around next week um i'll be in a different county uh we would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today in the comments at the cycling independent um by all means share your thoughts on things cycling has taught you um and when you drop by hey at least consider subscribing if you actually subscribe that would be better we do have three, 5 and $10 options, as well as a tip jar for just the one-timer. Uh, your dollars do go directly into this podcast, as well as our other productions, uh, TCI, uh, and of course, Revolting with John and Steele Knievel. We do need your help to keep doing what it is we do. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.